0: This morning our reading is from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 23. <clears throat> for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking keep asking to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Do take a seat.
1: And let's pray together. Father, we pray just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians some 2,000 years ago that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you better. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might know all of these blessings you've poured out upon us. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thelma Howard died in poverty in a a Santa Monica nursing home. A little while before she died, her niece visited her. She said this, she was always meticulous about her appearance and there she was She hadn't been bathed, she hadn't brushed her hair in a ward with another woman and two men. Thelma died in poverty. But after she died, it was revealed that she was fabulously wealthy. For 30 years, she'd been Walt Disney's housekeeper. And every year at Christmas, Walt Disney would hand her a a handful of Disney shares. At the time, the Disney corporation wasn't worth very much. But Thelma never sold a single share. After she died in poverty, it was revealed that those shares were worth nearly 9 million US dollars. She was fabulously rich, and yet she lived in poverty, like a pauper. But if you were here last week, you'll know that Paul has told us we're much, much more than multi-millionaires. As we began this series in Ephesians, we saw that Paul has said every Christian... Has every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're multi millionaires, rich beyond our wildest dreams. If you were here last week, you remember he told us, We're chosen, we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We've been adopted into his family, welcomed as princes and princesses into the family of the king. Every sin has been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. We've been told God's cosmic plan for the world, that all things will be united together under Christ. And He sealed us with the Holy Spirit as a deposit that guarantees we'll receive all these blessings one day. Objectively, we are fabulously rich. And yet so often, we don't feel it. So often we feel, perhaps we live like Thelma. Millionaires who live like paupers. Well, if you were here last week, you know, I urged us to go away and and meditate on this passage. Praise God for these blessings. And if you've done that, I wonder, do you feel more like the rich person that you are? Wonder. Well, Paul carries on where he left off. He begins this week's passage with the words, for this reason. For this reason, because every spiritual blessing's been given to you in Christ, to those who are in Christ... And ever since I heard about your faith and love for the saints, that is that you too are in Christ, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I have not stopped praying for you. And what does Paul pray? I wonder what you pray for a new Christian. Or maybe you pray for some Christians generally. I wonder what you pray for them. Paul prays that we and the Ephesians would know God better. And that we know the blessings he's poured out on us more deeply. Look at verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then in our translation, it looks like a, another prayer at verse 18. But it literally is one prayer that carries on like this. So that you may know him better, having the eyes of your hearts opened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. He wants us to know God, and in particular, three of these wonderful blessings that we know the hope to which God has called us, we know how dearly God values the church, his inheritance, and then third, that we know the power that he has for us to be the church. And as we look at each in turn, I hope we will go away knowing God better. If that happens, the prayer I've just prayed, the prayer I've been praying all week, will have been answered. But I pray also that we'll go away dissatisfied slightly. We'll see all these things and we'll realise we don't really know them. And so we'll pray even more fervently for ourselves and for each other to know these things deeply in our inner beings. And if we do, it will change us. Well, Paul wants them to know God better. So he prays the Holy Spirit will help them. Have a look uh, again at verse 17. I keep asking that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's a bit of a puzzle because he told them last week, if you were here, that everyone has the Spirit. It's been given, that he's been given to them as a, a guarantee. I don't think he's praying that they would receive the Spirit afresh, so much as that the Spirit would have hold of them. This Two kinds of dangers, I think, aren't there? There are some who are always praying for more blessings. We want more and more. And there's something great about that. But we're in danger of forgetting we're millionaires. We already have it all. When we pray like that, we we forget that. But the opposite danger is is to, to kind of know, oh, we've got all that in the bank. I've got my ticket to heaven. But never enjoy any of it now. And Paul treads the course between the two. We're millionaires, and he wants them to know it, not to live like paupers. And so he prays, not for more blessing, but that we know these blessings deeply in our inner beings, that God would open, by his spirit, the eyes of our hearts. And the heart here is not the emotions, so much as the people we are. The heart sometimes lined up with, uh, with soul, that in our souls... In the deepest part of our being, we know this. So that it would overflow in joy, change our actions, thrill our minds. And that's what Paul is longing for. Well, let's look at each blessing in turn. We'll spend most of our time on the last one. But God has first called us to an amazing hope. God has called us to this amazing hope, and Paul wants us to know it. We saw last week that we have been predestined. To be sons and daughters of the King. And we enjoy that privilege now. But 99% of the blessings of the Christian life are in the future. And one day, Jesus will return, as we've just sung. And he will welcome us into his kingdom. We will be publicly revealed as princes and princesses of the King. And we will love and be thrilled with those blessings. Hope in the Bible is never a wishy-washy thing. It's guaranteed. It's sure and certain. And Paul longs that we'd grasp this. Because the problem is, the things of now seem so much more real, don't they? The things that we see before us, they're the things that seem sure and certain. And if that's the case, anything that threatens our health, or our wealth, or our happiness now is something to be warded off, isn't it? And yet, the Bible urges us not to live for now, but for now. For the future. So Paul prays we'd know it. Imagine if you went on holiday. I don't know where you'd like to go on holiday, but imagine the holiday of your dreams. Say you want to go to Paris, and you've booked a week's holiday in Paris, and you and your, your wife or your husband, you, you fly to Paris and you check into your hotel and unpack your cases, and your wife says, let's go out and, and see the city. How would it be if you said, do you know what? I, I just want to rearrange the room a little bit. If we moved the bed three inches this way, this, this room would feel so much more spacious. And uh, see the picture on the wall. That picture's not right there. Let's, let's move that over there. And you do that, and then you think, hang on. When I came into the, the lobby, in, in the gift shop, there, there was a, a much nicer picture. We could buy that picture, and we could give it to the hotel, and we could hang it there, and we could, we could enjoy it. Your wife would be, what are you talking about? Open the window. There's the Eiffel Tower. Why why are you fiddling about in the hotel room when there's the great city? Get ready for that. And there's a sense, isn't it, that Paul is urging and praying that we'd open the window and see the great city, see the hope we have, and live for that. Who on their right mind would spend money on a picture in a hotel room that they enjoy for a few days and then leave behind? And yet so often we're capped by the small hotel room and we don't see the great city and so we never get ready to go. I heard the other day of a church where a young lady, I guess in her 20s, with a promising career ahead of her felt called to go to the mission field and I don't know exactly where she was going but it was somewhere where she would be in great danger either from disease or from those she was seeking to proclaim the gospel to. It was likely she'd she'd die young and there was a little movement in the church that said went to the pastor and said we've got to stop this she might die this is irresponsible and the pastor refused and somebody commented on that that both that young missionary and the pastor got the hope of the bible she gave up the promising career she might die young but the hope ahead is so wonderful that it doesn't matter and she got it and it was real and it changed her life and paul is praying that we would know this. Not so that we begrudgingly live for the future, but so with great joy we live for a certain hope that is ours. Paul prays we know the hope to which he's called us. Secondly, that we know the extent that God values the church as his inheritance. Secondly, that we know the extent that God values the church as his inheritance. And we need to look carefully at this as it's a bit of a surprise look again at verse 18 he prays that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and at first sight it seems like that's our inheritance that he's um, saying the same thing in two different ways there's hope and there's an inheritance now the bible does say that we have an inheritance and, and some people do take it like that but I think if we look back I think if we look carefully we see it's his inheritance in the saints Now, just look back up to verse 14, which was in last week's passage. Clearly, here we do have an inheritance. The the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's a wonderful hope. But there's a dual ownership here, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And in the Old Testament, the people of God were God's inheritance time and time again. As uh, the people of Egypt were called as the people of Israel were called out of Egypt, uh, God says he did it to make them his inheritance. And now in the New Testament, not just Israel but all God's people, Jews and Gentiles together are god 's inheritance. And just see what kind of inheritance it is It's one that is rich, that is glorious, that he's longing to see and get hold of. Now I think that's a big surprise, isn't it? Haven't you ever said to somebody you're trying to speak of of Christian things, don't look at the church. The church is an absolute mess. Look at Jesus. He you said something like that? And there's some truth in that, isn't it? We want to point people to Jesus, not to the church. But it's a big surprise. A, a bunch of sinners come together in the church of God's inheritance. No wonder Paul needs to pray for it. It's mind-boggling. And yet if we grasp it, it's transforming. How does God, why does God value the church as his inheritance? Because the church are in Christ. We are people. He's given to his son, the Lord Jesus, who died for us to wash us and then unite us together. And this united church, united through the ages, united across the world, together demonstrates the glory of God's grace. Told in chapter 3 that one day we'll demonstrate that not just to the world but to the spiritual realms. And God is longing for that day when his inheritance is revealed. And he's longing now that we wouldn't look at the church and see a, a funny mess. But we'd see it with spiritual eyes and see that we're God's inheritance. And if we do, it will humble us, won't it? We don't deserve to be God's inheritance. And yet we are will change how we see the church as we look around and we see others with many gifts and many blessings, but also many faults. We look at other churches with the same great churches, but with many blessings, many faults. We'll remember they're God's inheritance. Together, there's something phenomenal about us. We are God's glorious inheritance. And if we grasp it, it will change how we see and view church. Well, God prays, we know, Paul prays, we know, the hope that God has called us to. We know that the church is God's glorious inheritance. And then third, he prays we'd know God's great power for the church to be the church. Praise, prays we'd know God's great power for the church to be the church. Look again at verse 18. He talks of his incomparably great power for us who believe. It's incomparable. There's nothing greater. But what's it like? And see how he strains at his language in verse 19 to to try and express something of it. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, seated Jesus far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's done it for the church. He's given this great power to enable us to be the church. Because the church is the center of God's plan for the cosmos. Now, I don't know about you. I don't feel very powerful. I don't look at St. Stephen's and feel great power. So no wonder Paul spends a huge chunk of time unpacking this. The others he just bullet pointed. This one he unpacks. And look at this power. Jesus is seated above every power. There's nothing that's not under his power. Look look at all the things he lists up. Every king. Every boss. Every president. Every emperor. Every demon even. Is under his feet. Jesus is raised above them. And all of this. To build the church. I don't think we have it on the screen. But if you were here last week, you'll remember verses 9 and 10. Which are verses we'll come back to again and again in Ephesians. In some ways they're the theme of Ephesians. That God has made known the mystery of his will according to his good purpose which he purposed in Christ. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. Even Christ. And the church is the beginning of that. United together under Christ with everything one day to come in. Either things will bow the knee before Jesus, or they'll be cast away. Had a terrible note of judgment, didn't we, in that last song? That's what the church is, and that's what this power is for, for the church to be the church. The church is his body. Look at verse 23. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I take it that's a metaphor... To to say where God is present and active. And Jesus is present and active everywhere, isn't he? A leaf doesn't fall from a tree in the Amazonian rainforest, except by Jesus' permission. Donald Trump doesn't send a tweet, except by Jesus' permission. We don't breathe, except by Jesus' permission. But something particularly wonderful, and that of course raises some problems, doesn't it? We wonder, if that's true, how, how, how does God let Donald Trump send those strange tweets? That genuinely leads to all kinds of problems. What about sickness? And we can't deal with that here, but it does raise problems. But the Bible is clear, Jesus is in charge, but he's particularly in charge in the church. That's the fullness of, uh, that he feels to the fullness, because he's particularly active in the church, We are the people who once were enemies of God, who've bowed the knee and now recognise Jesus as Lord. And so particularly he's at work amongst us. means the greatest show in history is God building his church. Anything that happens in the White House, in Auckland, in Buckingham Palace, they're just sideshows. The greatest show is what's happening in the church. And if this power is for the church to be the church, well, what does it mean? I take it it means there's power for the church to grow out as new people come in. There's power for the church to grow up as we grow up to become more like the Lord Jesus. And there's power for us to grow together. And we access that power, I take it primarily, through the word and prayer. Let me just speak briefly as we come to an end on these areas. The church grows out, grows up, grows together. I wonder if we believe that. That God's plan for the world is for the church to grow out. As we look around, don't we long for many outside to know the wonderful blessings that we know in the Lord Jesus? I wonder, do we believe that God is absolutely committed to building his church? For more and more people to be rescued and come in. And yet we look around at the hostile world, at best disinterested, at worst actively hostile to the Lord Jesus. And we think if the church is to grow, it will take a miracle. And God says, yes, it will. And yet here is the power of God, the power that raises a dead man to life at work for the church. Isn't that wonderful? Not for the church in China or the church in Africa, the church. The church in New Zealand, the church in Christchurch, the church in Shirley. And God longs to build his church. Well, how do we access that power? I guess in many ways. But surely the main way is through the word of God and prayer. Paul says, doesn't he, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And so as those guys in Dunedin walk out and speak the gospel to a stranger, it seems pathetic, doesn't it? What could look more pauperish than that? You go up to someone in a church, can you? Can I tell you something from this funny old book? And yet this says that is the power of God that raises a man to the center of the universe, above everything, unleashed. As I stand here now, that is God's power to build the church. And not just as we speak. I take it God needs to open our hearts so we pray. And there's many other obstacles, aren't there, for the church growing. We need money, we need resources, Mm -hmm. we need a new admin centre. There's all kinds of things. And you begin to list them up, you think, how difficult is this task? And yet, Jesus is above everything. And so we can pray and say, Lord, solve this problem. And he says, yes, by my immeasurable power for the church to be the church. The church grows out. But the church grows up, doesn't it? People don't just come in and, and that's it. As we came in, we need to grow up to become more like Jesus. And that too, if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you know is difficult. There's all kinds of sin within us that stops us being more like Jesus. The devil would love to knock us off course. And God says there's great power for the church to be the church. And again, primarily, we receive it through the word and prayer. Paul's modeled that, I think, to us. He's told us in the word these blessings. And then he's prayed we'd get it. And if we get it, it will change us. Chapter 4, he's going to say how the church has been given, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, who teach the word of God to the people of God, who then teach it to each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, love each other, and the church grows. Is it easy? No, it's impossibly hard. And yet here is God's great power to do it. Imagine there was a vitamin. A life-giving vitamin. That if you you took it, it would make you wise. It would give you a great love for others. Help you to put Jesus first in in the things that he wants you to. And uh, you you just have this vitamin. It's full of power. And uh, it's a funny kind of vitamin. You can't just take it. You can't just swallow it down like most vitamins. You have to sort of chew on it. And you need to take 10 or 15 minutes to chew on it. And uh, yet if you do... Will change your life, and there's a bit more to it. You, you need to come to a clinic w- once a week for about an hour and a quarter. And when you go to the clinic, they kind of pump this vitamin into you. Well, if that vitamin is going to change, wouldn't we do that? And yet, the problem with this vitamin is we kind of swallow it down. When we're che- we can't watch TV and chew it. We can't be on Facebook and chew it. We can't be gaming and chew it. Because that'd be easy, wouldn't it? We need to sit in a chair. We might be able to read a couple, have a cup of coffee as we do it, but we need to take time to do it, and that means we need to say no to something else. We need to go to bed earlier. We need to cut out some gaming. We need to have a less leisurely breakfast, whatever it might be. But that vitamin's full of life. Would we not chew it? Friends, you know where I'm going. Here's the vitamin. Here's the vitamin. The clinic. Once a week, that God's immeasurably great, incomparably great power is at work that we access, and Paul is praying that we know it—not so we go home and feel good. oh, I told us to read the Bible more. Know that we know this immeasurable power, and we'd want it. We'd long for it in our lives, and we'd cry out, "Lord, give us that power." But He doesn't just zap us. He says, "Here it is in the Word. Here it is together. Here as we encourage each other as we meet over lunch." And if we get it, it will change us. Don't we long to be changed? And then finally, the power to grow together. The church is to be united, isn't it? And Paul is going to talk about the way the greatest division in in the ancient world, Jews and Gentiles, were overcome through the gospel and came together. And I praise God, we are a united church, aren't we? Recent events have shown that. And yet, don't we long to be even more knitted together? even more loving of one another, even more welcoming, even more able to bear with one another. And the wonder is this power is to grow us together, to unite us, to help us to love each other. A couple of times this, since I've been here, uh, there's been situations of conflict. And um, a couple of times I've, I've said, look, let's get together and talk about it. And on one occasion, maybe on two occasions, somebody said, different people have said to me, I just can't see how this conflict's going to be resolved. We'll take a miracle. And I said, well, it's good, because we're in the miracle business. It is hard to grow together. And yet here's the power of God to do just that. There was a gasp, I think, when I said at the Bible study launch evening, that if there's someone in your group, in your small group, who's a pain in the neck, go and talk to them. And people looked at me like, I can't say that Now, we need to qualify. There are times when we shouldn't do that. Of course, when someone slights us and we feel a bit hurt, there's something good, isn't there, about saying, it doesn't matter. That's God's power at work in us. It's a miracle when somebody slights me and I don't lash out. I don't know about you. Maybe it's less of a miracle for you. It's a miracle for me. But there are times in God's power when we live like paupers because we don't use his power and talk to them. And if we've crossed the Rubicon... Then we should talk to them. What's the Rubicon? If there's somebody in church life or something in church life that is bothering you so much that you've grumbled to other people, you can't help but grumble about it, then you're living like a pauper. Because there's great power here to grow together. There's power to examine ourselves and, and take the plank out of our own eye. And then there's power to, to avoid the quiet life and make an appointment and go and see that person and say, brother or sister, we need to talk. And then there's power for that person to hear what you say and be changed. And friends, don't we long for that? And yet so often we live like paupers, not thinking that Jesus has this great power to build his church. Don't we long the church will grow out. We'll grow up into Christ and grow together. And that's what God longs. That's why he's raised his son to the place above everything. And this power works in us. And yet sometimes we live like paupers. And so Paul prays that we grasp it, that we grasp the hope, we grasp the marvel that we are his inheritance, grasp the marvel of this amazing power for those who feel so weak.